Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. And this weekend we're in the thick of New Music Dublin and I'll be talking to one of the charismatic megafauna of contemporary music, John Luther Adams, in a moment. Later on we'll plunge our ears into Dunleary with improvising pianist Dizumi Kimura and Louise Williams will be eating some cherry blossom. But we start with a brief descent into deep time with John Luther Adams, whose new choral work is having its Irish premiere this week at the New Music Dublin Festival. The work sings us downwards two billion years through the Grand Canyon, layer by rocky layer. It's just the 70s environmentalist turned new millennium composer's latest essay enfolding landscape into music, finding musical forms for deserts and mountains, iced lakes and explosive seas. He spoke to Culturefile from his mud-coloured cabin in Chihuahua about sound and landscape the environment and the orchestra, and music's role in finding a new way of being human. I'm trying to to get at something inevitable, elemental, something that feels like rock. Uh, Hence this recent obsession with with geology, with the colours and textures and weights and, and deep, deep ages of the rocks uh, on the mountainside, the earth beneath my feet. I spent most of my life in Alaska. About a decade ago, my wife Cynthia and I decided, well, we're still young enough, maybe it's time for for a new adventure. Um, Something... um, equally outlandish as uh, moving to Alaska when we were in our 20s. And we set out, we left home. Alaska is home to me and always will be. But we went looking for a new home. And we lived for several years in the Sonoran Desert in Mexico, And we lived for several years in the Atacama Desert of Chile. We wound up leaving those places because we couldn't, we couldn't find enough silence. You know, I have a, I have a saying now, a private saying, hell is other people's music. Uh, I would still be living in the Atacama Desert. Aside from Alaska, no other landscape that I've ever been in has touched me so deeply, has, has, has gone so directly to my heart and my soul. Uh, and we lived there for two years. But of course, it's impossible to find a, a, a place removed from other, other people. And <laughs> as I joke, other people's music. Because, uh, as people have have done for uh, thousands of years down there, uh, everybody everybody lives together in the very few oases that there are in in the Atacama. And uh, ultimately, as you know, as much as I loved that place, um, we had to leave, and, and we set out um, uh, looking again. And at least for the moment, we have found a quiet place on the side of a, of a mountain 
at 6,000 feet in the northern end of the Chihuahuan Desert. For a lot of uh, maybe young composers, the idea of living in a kind of musical centre, like living in New York or living in London, is important in the development of the music. You could say you're now beyond that, but you were always in a way beyond that. The the landscape was maybe a more important source. Always. And, you know, my joke, Luke, is that uh, whenever a a career opportunity, a, a, a decision point presented itself, I always made the wrong decision. And that has worked out. It's given me... It's given me a very, very rich, if singular, life, and uh, it has allowed me to discover a music that I can't imagine would have come about in any other way. You know, maybe it it, it all comes from just a certain uh, personality trait or <laughs> character flaw. All my life, I've worked with this yearning to discover music just beyond the margins of my culture. And of course, that is, that's a, a, it's a ridiculous proposition. We are all, as human beings, inevitably uh, products of the cultures into which we're born and, 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 and that we inhabit. However, we're also citizens of the earth and we are sentient, sometimes conscious beings. And, and our consciousness at, at every level is, is formed by what we call nature, uh, by light and wind and water and, and earth, by, by the elements, by the bird songs, um, and this is where I've gone for uh, 50 years now, I guess, or, or more, um, in, in search of music that um, perhaps imagines a culture, a new culture, a new way of, of, of living as human animals um, in harmony with with one another and with all other uh, life with which we share this miraculous planet that is the only home you and I will ever know. I don't expect I'll ever expect that I will live to inhabit that culture that I imagine, but it's my hope now that I can leave something that may be useful to the next generations. Of, 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 of people who will imagine and bring about that new culture. And one of the ways 
you do that is by, it's a funny description for it, but by creating a technology that allows the landscape to speak. I wonder how you feel about that that notion of a, of a technology. But in a sense, if that landscapes, if the landscapes that you've been through are to, uh, are to communicate with some unborn future, then they need a technology. And and in in your music, they find that technology. Yeah, I, if 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 I may embrace your metaphor of technology with an outmoded term or a, a dated term from I remember the nineteen seventies, uh, you know, when the nascent um, environmental movement was um, in its heyday, um, there was a term appropriate technology, which now, I don't know what it's become, alternative energy or, or, or some other buzzwords that have been co-opted by, by fossil fuel industries and, and, and the voracious machinery of, uh, of late capitalism. But this idea of um, not trying to cut butter with a chainsaw Maybe my technology is is becoming simpler and simpler. Maybe it's uh, it's back to my early days backpacking and running rivers and 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 scrambling up um, mountains or trekking across the Arctic coastal plain. You know, maybe maybe metaphorically speaking, the technology that I'm using now is my tent, my backpack, and a um, and a good water bottle. And yet, uh, very recently, you have become desert, which, in terms of its carbon footprint, is actually quite a an immense thing because you've mobilized so many people to bring that together. It's not a hobo's no, kind of uh, no. performance. And uh, this weekend, I will reluctantly travel uh, north to, of all places, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which I've taken to calling the Paris of the Plains, where we will premiere uh, what I vow will be my final orchestral work. It, um, it's called An Atlas of Deep Time, which relates to the piece that's, uh, that's being performed in Ireland, A Brief Descent into Deep Time, the choral work that, uh, that's being heard there. And the text is composed entirely from the, the colors, the names, and the ages of the geologic layers of the Grand Canyon. If you go down what we know uh, beneath the Colorado River, at the bottom of the canyon, if you go all the way from the from the rim of the canyon down through the canyon and into the river and into the earth underneath the river, you've encompassed um, roughly two billion years of the Earth's history, um, which, you know, is less than half, <laughs> to put it in perspective. In this new piece, An Atlas of Deep Time, it's um, even more preposterous than become ocean or become desert. Ocean has the symphony orchestra, full symphony orchestra, broken into three different ensembles. That wasn't enough space for me, and in become desert which was inspired by you know my life in in the Sonoran Desert of Mexico and, and the Atacama in Chile, I added a choir of, of voices, human voices, and an even larger ensemble and broke the, the orchestra into five different choirs, if you will, scattered around 
the audience, not only on stage, but out in the house. In this new piece, there are six choirs or, or musical ensembles. <laughs> so <laughs> it, we're reaching the saturation point, but it should be a glorious noise. I say that this is my last orchestral work because, because in part of what you're suggesting, that, that, that the symphony orchestra does have a huge carbon footprint. But more than that, I feel as though, uh, back to what we were, we, were, we were saying about, you know, a new culture, imagining uh, a new culture, in 50 years, 100 years, will there still be symphony orchestras? Maybe, but I suspect they will be even more museums than they are now. I feel downright blessed to be, you know, pushing 70 years old, but still feel as though I'm, I'm near the peak of my game, that my best work may still lie ahead of me. You know, I think maybe my outdoor works and, um, and, and smaller pieces are going to be more practical and more useful. My, my path throughout my life has been to, to try and pay attention to the music um, and follow it wherever it may want to lead me next. And um, because the music is my life. The music is, you know, it's my, it's as close to a religious practice, a spiritual discipline as I get. But in a way, Luke, I feel as though the work is leading me back home to the place where I began um, with bird songs and percussion music and human voices, and over the last um, 15 years or so, I've composed uh, a number of pieces for outdoor performance. And that's very exciting to me creatively. It feels as though there's still a lot more for me to explore and possibly discover, making music to be heard out of doors. And in some way, Maybe those outdoor pieces will be more useful in the future, and perhaps um, Inuksuluit or Sila or Cross the Distance or a new piece I'm working on called Crossing Open Ground. Uh, perhaps those will turn out to be, um, you know, my most unique, the most unique part of my musical legacy. Who knows? It's not a composer's job to figure out um, that part. John Luther Adams and the Irish premiere of his A Brief Descent into Deep Time with Chamber Choir Ireland, conducted by Paul Hillier, is taking place this evening in Christchurch Cathedral at 8pm, so ideally you're listening in the car on the way there. Anywhere here now is good. Next, we're importing the sound of Dunleary to the National Concert Hall in Dublin with Japanese-born pianist Izumi Kimura. For its latest chamber series, the NCH invited Kimura to curate three concerts of chamber music 
music. But what is chamber music? Kimura asked herself and came back with an answer that ranged from a date with long-term collaborator drummer Jerry Hemingway to a trio in which she and violinist Cora Venus Lunny will improvise to the town recordings of sound artist Anthony Kelly. Kimura and Kelly talked to Culturefile about sound and music and noise. This started in 2019 for the first time that I was in residence. I was doing a residency in Donnery, and I want what I wanted to do that time was to explore the line between the environmental sound and the musical sound. I wanted to uh, listen to the sound that exists in everyday life. It could be nature sound, which I really like, of course, sound of the sea or sound of of the birds or the rain and people, the sound of traffic and people talking, all these sound, which is not actually composed or just a natural sound. And I wanted to listen to this sound deeply to find music in it. And then what is music anyway? What in you know, a sound? There's a sound and there's music and there's a noise. And in Japanese, those terms are all much more um, overlapping, aren't they? Oto is a sound, yes. Uh, ongaku is music, but ongaku actually is an oto and gaku part is like enjoyable, like enjoying kind of thing. So enjoying is the sound. That's that's the music, basically. Then the word for noise is, is the not enjoyable sound, is it? It's like a loud sound. Loud or busy, and not necessarily un, you know, unpleasant. It doesn't actually have to be unpleasant or, or any negative elements in it. So that's what I wanted to do. So I invited Anthony because I discovered by chance that he was actually making this wonderful field recordings and he had this website that's a collection of, of field recordings from Zonneri. So that was really, really perfect. And I got in touch with him, invited him to work with me. I grew up in Dunleary as a child and um, I was always very taken by how rich the sonic landscape is. Um, you've got a very long stretch of coastline and um, all of the sea area that comes with that. But then you've also got a lot of inland um, features that are very rich and just absolutely perfect um, for anybody who's interested in, in sound recording or indeed just, just listening. David Starling and I have been collaborating on an ongoing project called A Sound Map of Dunleary and we've been working on it together for probably about the last four or five years at this stage and um, we intend uh, to continue it into the future. What we've been doing with the project is we've been making and collecting sound recordings that reflect different aspects of the borough of Dunleary. The process for me is uh, choosing the recording for, that speaks to me for for that moment or th- for the certain theme, and the playing itself is improvised. So, especially because I improvise with Cora with this project, 
I know because I, which you know which rec- recording I chose, so I know I know what's going to happen. But Cora often doesn't necessarily she knows like what what's going to come. So basically, we just improvise, interacting each other and improvise. But what I do in beforehand is that I make a structure of the whole set. So I would de- I I decide, you know, let's start with this recording. You know, there's no point in overthinking. Because we ha- we don't know what's going to happen. When we all perform live together, I on my mixing desk um, I bring the field recordings in and out, and uh, in response to what Cora and Azumi might be playing at a particular moment, I'm always listening really carefully to them, and also I augment their playing with sounds from small electronic devices that I often uh, bring along, and uh, other gentle um, improvised sounds uh, in response to to Cora. When I'm editing a field recording, um, I do a lot of listening um, beforehand and um, I'm always looking to try and find a narrative to unlock. I think what this does is it, it brings a kind of an element of maybe storytelling to the track. If you say chamber music, somehow lots of people think about classical repertoire. That's why I feel so happy about <laughs> calling this music as a new chamber music. As you know, I come from very heavily like a classical music world originally, and what I'm trying to do seems to be I try to break the wall. Izumi Kimura and Anthony Kelly there talking about the upcoming Chamber series at the National Concert Hall in Dublin. The first concert features Kimura and Kelly along with violinist Cora Venus Lunny and that's on Thursday the 5th of May at 8.30. Full details of the series from nch.ie. I've been waiting for a few weeks now for the cherry blossom I can see from my window to pop, and finally it has. In Japan, where they're far more serious about cherry blossoms, or sakura, they're taking the guessing out of the game. There are sakura season forecasts predicting blooming times for the length of the country. How else could you organise your hanami, traditional picnics into good blossom-viewing spots, or even get your cherry blossom patisserie in the oven? Our guest this time... Michko of Gopan Bakery has been bringing that latter tradition to this Irish spring, cooking up cherry blossom cakes such as sakura ampun, cherry blossom buns and sakura mokchi, rice sweets, which she's been selling from her bilingual Instagram-based bakery in Bray, County Wicklow, a lockdown flower, as Culture Files Louise Williams discovered, that keeps on blooming. My name is Michiko, and I'm an owner and a founder of Gopan, the bakery. I'm from Japan. I started the Gopan in the hope that I bring a little taste of Japan in Ireland. We're talking because it's Sakura season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably pronouncing it wrongly. Tell no, me. You do. You do it right, perfectly. Yeah. And it means blossom. Yes. It's just. The scenery at the springtime is very amazing. And the thing about sakura is that it's very delicate and it's very fleeting. It's a very short period in which you can really enjoy it. Is that part of the pleasure that you take in Japan around it? I think so. 
culturally, spiritually, I think, it related to all the literature, haiku and sort of stuff that we enjoy the season, every minute of life. How does the Dublin Blossom compare? It's different. We have so many parks and places that people intentionally plant the many trees along the road or park. As I understand it, the news reports will carry the news of cherry blossom in Japan at this time of year. There'll be a cherry blossom forecast as well? Yes, there are. They have the tree that they examine every year. Once Is that a special tree? It's just a normal tree, but they, they just decided it's a standard tree. And once that tree blooms, they announce that it's officially cherry blossom season starts. It starts, of course, from south side of Japan. And then it goes up to north in Hokkaido, northern part of Japan. They can still enjoy the cherry blossoms. It's a bit like the for Muslim people watching for the moon at the start of Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it with cherry blossom, with this standard yeah. tree. So we're sitting in the garden, um, and I'm sorry there's no blossom, but you've brought blossom for us to taste We've got baskets spread out in front of us, little plastic containers of biscuits. I see. Okay. This is the last week's weekly special. We, we had it as a weekly special here, and that's called the Sakura Anpan. It's a, anpan is a sweet red bean paste. Feeling. Sweet paste. Mm, sweet red bean paste inside, uh, but this one has got the sakura leaves in it with the sweet red beans. I was with my daughter in Japan in March and then I wanted to bring something special for my customers here. As a paste, so yeah. this is a mixed with red bean. Okay, so we're looking at a round bun. Um, there's a glaze on it, so it's beautiful, golden. Yeah, that's the and, sakura, and, what's, sakura. and in the middle? Yeah, sakura top. So there's a little sakura top, how sweet. Yeah. This is a yeasted, is it yeasted? Yeasted bread, yeah. Look, you've just opened it and yeah. it's got a little and pink layer. Yeah of the paste inside. Will we try a bit? So good. Sorry, my mouth's full. That's all right. <laughs> Would I taste the cherry blossom? Not as much as you do, like the traditional rice cake here. Oh, you're reaching for another yeah. container. <laughs> mm. And that's the original things that the started I think and then that's the cherry blossom leaves like pickled in a salt now I, this isn't sushi but it almost has a sushi kind of it's not seaweed it's a kind of looks more like almost like a vine leaf to mm. me like for the leaves that the, we just boiled quickly and then with the salt uh, let the water out and then uh, add a little bit of lemon and just leave it as it is Mm. And then with this one, you can taste it. Mm. Mm. Got a delicate mm. flavor to it. That is delicious. So this delicate pink rice wrapped in a, in a cherry blossom leaf would be a tradition? Traditional. Dated back 1700 mm. or something. That when the 
shogun general decided to plant more trees, more cherry blossom trees along the Sumida River. You know, the, when the people gathers, like these days, there's uh, food trucks. <laughs> so the guy decided to sell something related to sakura for people to enjoy. When you go to Japan during the sakura season, sakura, everything is everywhere. <laughs> sakura bread, sakura cookies, sakura cakes, and just, yeah. All pink, I hope. <laughs> That beautiful, delicate pink. Mm. Tell me, um, when did you start baking? I've been always a baker. Gopan has started during the lockdown when many of Japanese living in Ireland, myself included, were stuck in Ireland. Then I brought some of the baked goodies to some of my friends here to cheer them up. Everybody was very, very happy to see them, so brought their smile back, even for a short while. Mm. The healing power of sakura cake there with Michiko of Gopan Bakery. Louise Williams was the reporter. And that brings to an end this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more powerful edibles next Saturday. Till then... Bye now.